Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. It's really good to see all you guys. Um, we are doing, this is season two of uh, our speaker series. I love those sound effects in the background. Can you, uh, will you, Kate, uh, will you give me like a steam sound, like the sound of a, can you give me that sound? Great, great. I wanted to, I want, I want everybody to know that we're like in a coffee shop and uh, we are at M Street uh, Coffee this year and last year it was in my house, so we're moving out and onward. And I want to say thank you to Andrea McLean for hosting us. It is uh, much appreciated. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Um, so the reason that this speaker series started is because I was realizing that people had a lot of questions that I did not have answers to. Uh, we may want to shut that door, by the way, it's, unless it's going to get too hot. Is it going to get too hot? No. Okay. Um, a lot of people had a lot of questions, and I felt like this would be a good way to answer them, but the bigger thing was uh, people would come to me with questions that I had no answers for. And so I realized I have to find some people that have some of those answers. And the thing that Amy has to offer uh, tonight that's different than most of the people we've, we've had is that she's been in there. A lot of you guys come to me and you want to create your own content. And you want to, like, you have these dreams of, like, being on your own show that you're running and starring in. And so hopefully Amy can make you know the hell that awaits you if, if that's the direction that you're going in. Um, so tonight, just to start, a couple little things I want to talk about. When we do these speaker series, I have just a quick rant that I'm going to do, and then I'm going to answer a couple of your quick questions. We're going to do that very quickly, and then Amy's going to come out. Uh, my rant this week is that uh, I was getting studio notes this week, and I was told that they want the page count. When I first started writing, uh, before I came to California, the standard length for a screenplay was 120 pages. This was in, before I came here in 1993. Then it dropped down to 118, and then I remember definitively when I was 27, it dropped to 112, down to 109, and then when we, the first I'd ever heard of this was when we made Piranha, it was 109 pages, Piranha 3D, not to plug it, you don't need to see it, but, uh, and we went, when we went to uh, the wine scenes, they said they wanted it to come in at 99 pages, and we were, we were just like, what, why would they do that to us? Why do they want to cut 10 pages? And my lawyer said, because it's a $30 million movie, and that's a way to save $3 million, right there. Well. The latest thing I heard is 90 pages, was what I heard this week. 90 pages. So that means that movie lengths have shrunk by a quarter since the early 90s. That's, that's sort of where things are going. And this really pisses me off. And I was told uh, when I said to one of the producers, to a producer, like, why is this? What? And he goes, well, the reason for it is it saves money. But also, a lot of people, when they go to the movies, are afraid they're going to get stuck in a really bad movie. So they want to make them shorter. I'm like, well, that's a great endorsement of the movie industry. Basically, the movie industry has become me going of Oz, which is, that's basically what we're thinking when we go and see that. So that's my rant. Um, the question I get a lot from you guys, I thought I'd answer tonight, is a lot of people come to me and they say, I'm not sure I want to show you my work. I don't want to show anybody my work. What if somebody wants to steal it? First of all, nobody's stealing your work, but no. <laughs> Second of all is, <laughs> is that that was sort of a, a thing from 20 years ago that's a little bit gone. Now that you have emails, it's so easy to have a record and nobody wants to steal it. Nobody wants to run the chance of stealing your work. Um, when you hear about stuff getting stolen, it's usually because there's been a development person at, at Sony or Universal, they, they hear 10 pitches a week, and they accidentally merge one they heard three years ago into a script that they're working on without even being aware they do it. They settle those things, they take care of the people because there is a trail. There's, it's so easy to have a trail now that that's a little bit of something for yesterday. What I would recommend is if you take a meeting with somebody who you're pitching the idea to, I always send an email the next day that says, it was really nice meeting you. Just one thing I forgot to say about my script, blah, 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 about the woman who blah, blah. Like, you know, sometimes it's good to protect yourself with an email like that. 
And if you want to register, you can. You can register with the Guild, but I don't think it's something to really worry yourself with when you're talking about your projects. Um, this is something that I'm doing, I want to say, for on the, the uh, half of the place that we're having our uh, speaker series tonight, which is not tonight, but when you're working in a college, like if you go to, I, I'm here every day, and one thing I really recommend is tipping when you're at an independent <laughs> coffee house for a lot of reasons, but it's for your own good because they only give you two hours of internet. But if you tip well, they sometimes give you a little extra time. That's number one. Number two is the way I look at it is I don't have an office because I love coming here, and if I bought four cups of coffee a day here and a lunch, it probably would cost less than having my own office. So it's a real generous thing when an independent coffee house allows you to come and work for hours on end. I would recommend tipping well. So that's the oh, last thing I want to say. Yeah, The last thing I want to say, that's for you guys, is um, some of you may have been asking, the proceeds uh, from tonight are going to a scholarship to bring in people that uh, have excelled in some way but maybe can't take classes. And uh, the benefactors of tonight's speaker series are Dusty Ward and Jeanette Mouse, who's here. I, is it Mouse? Did I say it right? Moss, okay. They were the winners of the John Rosenfeld Film Festival with a great, great, great short, and it was something that we thought should be developed into something more. So congratulations to you guys. Oh. All right. Now, I would like to bring in uh, a speaker who is my friend, and we go back a long way. Uh, thank you, Amy Brenneman. Come on in. Thank you. And she's going to get mic'd by somebody. Is that right? Mm -hmm. uh, is she going to be mic'd? Oh, you're Mike. Oh, you're Mike. Right, okay. It all happened. So it all's already happened. So welcome. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you for coming. Um, the first thing I like to do when I have somebody here is ask. Uh, well, is to say how we know each other. So you want to tell them how we know each other? You don't. You don't want to do it. All right, I'll tell no, you. How no, I'm what, just kidding. Oh, she's doing. All right, right. Okay, great. Yeah, that's it. Uh, we of you. know each other from holidays writing class. Yes. Yeah. Holiday Reinhold, who's yeah. here, surprise, su surprising right. us tonight. She might be a speaker series down the line. She's a great uh, short story writer and novelist. And uh, she started this writer's, this, what right. was it? Right. Well, I heard about you years before, like through Ashley and Kata. Yeah, yeah. And I am a very undisciplined writer, but I like groups. I'm very motivated by groups. And also, it was around the corner from my house. Remember that? Making <laughs> so, it really convenient. And it was during the writer's strike for private practice. Yeah. So I felt like I can either sit around grouchy and yell at my kids, or I can go around the corner. And we had a and great where, time. That was a really, that a was really a special group. group. Yes. Everybody could really write. But I also will tell you that it, it does, the only scar I have from that is one of my worst Hollywood moments that I can record on record. And I'm wondering if you remember what it was. No, I don't know. Tell me if this rings a bell. Okay. So we'd done about six or seven of these, of these you know, sessions, and she, you were such a good writer mm -hmm. that I thought, oh, she's a writer, she's a writer, she's a writer. So suddenly, like, there's a lull, and this is like a year after I think you came off Judging Amy, and I go, do I know you from, do you remember this? I said, do I know you from somewhere? And you were like, it was just the worst thing in Hollywood. Don't ever say that to anybody. And you were like, no, I, maybe. I don't know. And I'm like, did you go to University of Vermont? And you're like, no, I didn't. So we, we do another prompt. We do another writing. And I said, what about like Chicago? Were you in Chicago? And you're like, no. And finally, like, I made you say it. Like, you had to say the words out loud that you never want to say, which is, well, I'm on a TV show. But it gets worse. It, that's, in case you didn't think of worse, I say, what's the TV show? And you said, judging Amy. And do you remember what I said? No. I said, who are you? <laughs> I mean, I don't think, I never thought that could go anywhere. Does any of this ring a bell? Yes, yeah, it was yes, so it embarrassing. I'm going to tell you, just living it again, like yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I was going to, I'm just nauseous even thinking right, about it. It was, right. it was so awful. But anyway, that's how we know each other. And good here's the thing, it's a tribute, it's a tribute to me. 
that you're here tonight because you've, you've forgiven me for it, <laughs> and I appreciate go. that. All right, so I want to talk about you. you. Everybody knows that you've had, you know, you haven't stopped acting really since you got here, so a lot of people probably hate you, but that's okay. We'll, we, can, we can get over that. Um, how, just tell us a little bit of how you arrived. Like when you arrived to L.A., everybody has their own story of what got them here and what they were doing when they got here, and I'm wondering what that was for you. Um, well, I started a theater company right out of college, which was a community-based, site-specific, uh, funky, like we, we patterned ourselves on the Worcester Group, and, and uh, actually Bill Roush, who was our artistic director, now runs Oregon Shakes, so we're all still at it. So for like six years right out of college, um, I worked, you know, we were on an Indian reservation in Nevada doing Aeschylus, and we would live with the people and act with the people, and it was just totally up my alley. Um, never had any interest in film, television, didn't have a headshot, didn't have an agent, and really I was teaching as much as um, acting. But I love the ensemble, I just loved that whole thing. Until we all started driving each other crazy. <laughs> then That's I how they went, always yeah. end. They always <laughs> then end I went that to way. New York, and even then, I mean, I was like 27 or 28 before I got a headshot. I was mm -hmm. like, I guess I'll give it a go. Um, and then I started booking commercials right away, which was good uh, for the money. And then I did a little gig when I was like 27 out here in L.A. And I always really liked L.A. Uh, I'm from the East Coast, but um, never loved New York the way you have to to live there. And uh, also could not for the life of me figure out how to break up with my boyfriend there. So I kept coming out here, and it was really convenient. And I like literally couldn't figure out how to break up with him. So um, I wonder what would have happened if you could. You, might I, not, you never would have came to L.A. If you, had, if you had just had the strength to do it, we, we would not be here today. No, he, so he deserves it. So you should mention him when you win an award. Steven, thank you. Thanks yeah. to Steven. Um, um, and then I came out for, um, I, I really came out for good on NYPD Blue. In right, right. You booked that. Yeah. And does anybody know what Amy Brenneman is most famous for, for her stint on NYPD Blue? What? It was something. <laughs> it was something. It was something big, something visual. She showed her butt. She was the first person, first person to show her butt on, on network television. Congra yeah, round of applause, yeah, round of applause. Yeah, you, keeping that for my children. And you would think that, that she would have just retired after that, but she kept, <laughs> she kept going forward. And um, tell me, before we get to, to judging Amy, when did you know you could, like, when was writing, did, were you aware, look, I can write? It, it seems as though... I mean, it's so funny because my parents are in Westport, Connecticut, and they're old and moving out of, it's not the house that I grew up in, but it's been in our, it was my great aunt's house, and I was just back there because we're going to sell the property, and, you know, so it's a fucking checkoff moment, really. I mean, I was married on the property, but I don't want to live in Westport, Connecticut, so I was back, but I was like, I gotta get my wedding dress, like, I, there's also, I gotta... So I went back there for uh, this crazy 24 hours and um, found all my writing. Like, found all the high school stuff, the junior high, the, the journal from Nepal, from, you know, that I was high on opium. I was like, wow, I'm still journaling. I was like, totally <laughs> fucked up. And what, what, I, what I just recognized myself, I was like, wow. Like, not only do I recognize my own similar DNA, but I'm writing with the same purpose, the same style. But then I found... My mother's letter, like that, I was like, wow, what's been lost, what's been gained? It's like arguably digitally, it's better for the photos, right? But these letters that we all wrote, like long letters. So from the 50s, my unproduced plays of my great aunt from 1919 were all the same people, and I never thought about it. I never thought about it as a, like from, from the get, it was like, oh, you're a good writer, and 
to me, that was meaningful because I would put something down and I go like, yep, that's exactly what I meant to say. That's exactly, you know. But in terms of vocation, it's like, it was too easy. It was like, uh, I don't know, whatever. Too easy. So there you have it. It's all well, so no, easy. No, no, no. <laughs> I didn't. That's I what didn't, you're all missing. I yeah. didn't. Um, anyway, it's so funny with the writing because I'm writing with a capital W. It's like, wow, we all in my family. And I said to my dad, you know, I know you want to move out by the end of Thanksgiving, but get, get me a storage like, I, I don't want to throw, I gotta, I want to have time with this little corner of the garage. What did you major in in college? Were you, was there any interest in uh, Comparative religion. Comparative religion? Yeah. Oh my God, that's funny. And you went to Harvard, is that right? Yeah, there was no theater major, although there is now, like right now is the first, uh, I helped sort of give, give advice about it, but yeah, so all of it, uh, there was a ton of theater, but all of us were, a lot of people were English majors, history, but uh, I was comparative religion. Right, right, right. All right, so let's get into a little bit the judging Amy, how that came to be. Was there... Something else that had happened before that that suggested this might come the next year? Because I know that with me, sometimes it's the one that didn't go that led to the one that right. did. Right. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, so I did NYPD Blue and then was um, written off uh, really after the first year. And I was like, well, that was short. <laughs> like, you all are going to have a 12-year ride. Like, I'm done. <laughs> but then I did movies. Um, I did a whole bunch of movies, and I really liked that. But I always liked television because I like running a theater company. Like, I love the ongoing ensemble, finding out somebody can sing. Just, you know, I'm a, I'm a groupie gal. So I did a pilot, uh, a little bit like whatever, and had a great time. And it didn't go. But I remember thinking... If I do this again, I think I'd like to be the boss. <laughs> I just think that would be an interesting thing to do right about now. And then my mother, so my mother's a judge, right? So she'd been saying for years, and she loves Law and Order. I never watched Law and Order. I can't stand it. It's so boring to me. And she said, you know, there's, there should be something about juvenile justice, about the stuff that she does every day, which is all kids and delinquency. And, and, um, uh, and I thought, that's a stupid idea. Shut up, whatever. And then, <laughs> and then she was turning 70. And I made her a happy birthday video. And I, um, this is before I had kids, I had time to do stuff yeah, like that. So but my husband and I, like, crisscrossed uh, the state of Connecticut. But we spent about two days in the court. Mm -hmm. And all these people that I grew up knowing. And there was, um, you know, social workers and bailiffs and lawyers. And, um, and, and because of NYPD Blue, I could smell the bones of what it, I was like, oh, this is a TV show. I mean, partly because you have all these people in this centralized place. And then... Partly, you know, I had street cred. I feel like here's one thing why I will never be a good professional writer. If I don't have street cred around something, it's hard for me. I can do that as an actor. It's like, oh, I'll learn what it's like to be a surgeon, right? right. But if I'm going to create something, because I remember going in and pitching Judging Amy, I was like, nobody knows this but me. Like, right. you write or you don't, but, like, nobody knows it but me. But the other thing is, the thing I didn't want to do, the Law and Order thing, is because I was the daughter of a, you know, how I, how I, <laughs> my soul judging Amy was it's a little bit of a version of the the preacher's kid which is you know my memory of my mother is she so I have two older brothers and my middle brother was crazy in high school and was dealing dope and like like was like Wah, like crazy and I was like in music man like <laughs> like hiding out like, yeah, it's yeah. good times good times so my, my memory of my mother is she would be have her robe on and playing the she's an incredible judge so she's calm and wise and you know and then, and dealing with kids that were doing the same things as my brother was doing. And then she would, like, literally go, I'd be waiting for her in chambers, and she'd, like, take off the robe and go, like, God damn it, your brother! And, like, it's like, <laughs> you know? And it's like, when it's your own kid, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. your own kid. So right, right, that right. was the joke part of it. Um, so I thought, well, they've got to have a big home life. And then my other thing is, 
and again, personally, women, strong women, women trailblazers, like what if you're the daughter of a trailblazer, which is what I was. I mean, my mother was in the first class women at Harvard Law School. It's like those are big. So then what's that next generation doing? Right, right, right. So that was the meantime. Well, what's interesting to me about that is because we talk about this a lot is, first of all, one of the things we always talk about is do you write about what you know or do you write about what sells? You know, and in this case, you, you just said, you know, you have street cred with the things you know. And we also talk about when people come to me and they say, well, I got a pitch, but I don't know how to do it. I always say, start with a preamble about why this matters to you. And yes. you just did it. I mean, right. like, you know, I'd see, you know, I'm sure some of that was said when you went into pitch. It's probably the first thing you said when you went to pitch the show is, this is a show, and here's why I'm the person to write it. You that's know, right. and I think that's a really important part of yeah. how to get a show sold up, so set up. So one of the things I think is interesting about the pilot is you just you throw in so much conflict. Like there's conflict with the mother, there's conflict with the case, there's conflict, like, and we talk about that too. That you know you have to have all the bones to make this thing move forward. And I'm wondering, did you intuitively know that to do that, like from your experiences on NYPD Blue, or was that something the network were you shepherded towards that? Do you remember? I know it's a um, long time ago. Well, I didn't write the pilot. I mean, Barbara. Oh, Paul, right. Right. Who is doing uh, Madam Secretary now? I know, um, and in this way, you know, movies and television are so different. I mean, television, you need an, a problem that will never be solved, right? So it's like in Judging Amy, it was like this mother and this daughter. It's individuate like that. that we can go to the well for fucking 10 years, and we did, you know, and it's juice. Right. The franchise piece of it, you know, mm -hmm. will support that, but that's that. And so I have a nose for that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, what's the problem? I was on uh, the Shonda Rhimes show, Private Practice, and it was like we were all super pretty people living in Santa Monica. I was like, what's the problem? <laughs> yeah, what's, what's the problem here? Like, what's the problem? And then I, you know, I'm a good actor, so I sort of make up a problem. Um, but it's like, um, what is the problem? There's no problem. Right. But with Judging Amy, I always knew what the problem was. You right, know? right, right. Leftovers well, is a big thing, problem. Yeah, <laughs> <leftovers>. <laughs> There's a lot of problems on leftovers. No, but I mean, I think the thing that's interesting, too, about that is, you know, we... We talk a lot about having things that are familiar and original. And, you know, certainly at the time it was very original to have this female judge, even though your mother had done it. We'd not really quite seen that on right. TV yet. But the familiarity is the mother-daughter relationship never right. ends. It never ends. It's, you know, they say that that is one of the hardest relationships that there are, you know, father-son, father-daughter, whatever, the mother-son. And it's because you see your daughter in, sim in a similar world that, you know, there's the same struggles. Right. You know, uh, having kids, having a career, doing all these things. And it changes, every generation, it changes so much that that creates the friction that I'm sure right. is there. Um, okay, so my next question is, what was, when you would write for the network, because this is something that, and I know times have changed, but what was the note that you remember always hearing? Like, what were they always looking for more of on the show? You remember? Well, again, I mean, I, I, my, I should say, like, on Judging Amy, my thing was I, I, created it, mm -hmm. but I'm not a writer, man. I mean, I found the right writer. Mm -hmm. I always also have a nose for like, and now that I've been around for a while, it's like, oh, that person would be a great Mitch. So my, as we got into it, I would sit and about three times a year and help break the story, or often it would be broken and I'd say, oh, that's, I like that or I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would, so I, I couldn't speak directly. I, I wasn't, I mean, it's so funny. I was just on a notes call for something I'm producing. Like now I'm much more hearing, I have a more current view of that. You know, I would say it was a struggle to um, mess up, mess my character up, but keep her likable. It's that tension of like, you know, what is heroicism and what is Teflon and, you know, it, it, that balance is really... Right, right, right. It still is today. I and also, the other weird thing is I never thought of Judging Amy as a franchise. Like, I never thought of it as a legal franchise. And I knew we had cases every week, but Barbara put it so seamlessly that... 
So I, uh, there was a storyline where, um, and this was in like the fifth year of the show, maybe even the sixth year of the show, where my character had a miscarriage. And, and it had sort of been leading to this point where she was just going to have a breakdown and we were going to have her go to New Mexico. We got some money. It was like we were just going to bust out and go to New Mexico and have, you know, I was going to, you know, eat peyote or I don't know what I was going to do. But it was going to be great. And it was going to be off the grid and not with my kid and da, da, da. And I will never forget this. Nina Tasser, who I really like, um, I heard through the grapevine, like, no, you have to have a case. I was like, we do? I guess you're a legal franchise. You have to have a case. And I remember her like coming up to my trailer, and I loved her, but she was like, that's, you know, because in terms of syndication, whatever. And I turned to Carol Barbie, who was writing it, and I was like, okay, I'm going to miscarry on the bench. And I did, and it was all awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was literally like the, like the whole, I mean, it ended up being like this awesome, like weird thing, but I was like, fuck you. We're going to tell the story, and I will have a case. Oh, my God, that's so great. Um, okay, so... You, I just want to talk a little bit about the show that you're producing now, which I think is called Heartbreaker at this it moment. It just had a new name as of today. <laughs> okay, great. So you, here we are, Cutting Edge. The speaker uh, series is on the cutting it's edge. Called, it was called Heartbreaker, which I love. And then, and then it was like Queen of Hearts. I was like, Queen of Hearts? Like, oh, my God. And then today they're like, well, we're also testing Heartbeat. And the, the, the studio was like, do you like Heartbeat? And I'm always very silent. You know, I, Jill Gordon is the writer, and, I mean, we have a great relationship, but I've learned to keep really quiet on these. She's like, Amy, what do you think? I was like, well... I loathe Queen of Hearts. <laughs> like, how do you really feel? Anyway, yes. So I am producing that. And will you tell me? Um, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. Right, wait, uh, before you do it, let's see. Let's see if Amy, in two or three sentences, could make us see two hundred episodes. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> it is based on uh, a book uh, called Heart Matters uh, by this uh, Dr. Kathy Magliato, who is a cardiothoracic surgeon. There's actually only been two hundred women ever to do what she does. She is very funky. She's a little, as a person, she's a little bit like House. She's a little Asperger's-y. She's a little, um, so we have her at work, and the medicine tends to be sort of cutting-edgy stuff. I mean, honestly, the medical stuff is not the most interesting thing to me. Um, but she's got an ex-husband who's gay, and they're raising their two kids together, and she's got this, uh, she's a bit of the dude. Like, she can't, she has this really sweet boyfriend that Dave Annabelle plays. He just slays it, slays it. And yet she can't commit. She's a little bit of a um, restless, awesome, and Melissa George plays mm -hmm. her. And she's an incredibly talented heart, heart surgeon, is that right? Yeah. Okay, so this is the three. We all, well, interesting. We also gave her, she's a, car, she's a heart surgeon, but she also has this position at the hospital of a uh, CIO, chief innovations officer, which allows her to, I mean, and there's positions where you go to India and you learn about these you know, titanium balls, or so it gives, it's, gives her a little bit more than just the heart. Can we say that although she operates and works with the heart, she struggles with matters of the heart? I think we can. <laughs> can we, it may not be true, but can we say? Can we just say it? Okay. Um, and She's queen of heart. Right. And it's like, uh, so Ryan Murphy. I literally, I was like, I hate that so much. It's not like in Coldwater Curve, you know, the Lifetime thing, like Queen of Heart. I was like, the only way it works for me is if it's a drag queen. Like I cannot like that title. It's also so hard when you're taking those notes because you're always told, and maybe you didn't, but I would always be told that. You know, I had an agent that once said to me, "Look, you can't let them see that you don't like their notes. Whatever they say, you don't have to do it. Just nod." Right. And I had this thing where I'd written this thing, and I'm nodding along, I'm nodding along, and there's this young person who hadn't said much who came in with food, you know, and he says, uh, he does, the only thing he said the whole minute was, 
You know, I feel like what we need on the bench is like a fat kid who farts a lot. And this is what my head did. I went, I was going like this, and then he said that my head just went like this. And by virtue of my head stopping its movement, I had just yeah. shat on the whole thing. Right. So you got to be yeah. really careful yes. about well, how Well, we have, I'm bad, I, Jill calls me the pit bull because Jill, Jill is the showrunner, right? Mm. And she and I have learned, oh my God, like so much more. Basically, she doesn't say anything. She's like, listen, if you don't engage, it's like, a, you know, talking to drunk people, like, just don't engage. Like, just go like, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm -hmm. oh, that's great. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, but then, but then, and I've learned, I don't say anything on the phone, but then, but then when she needs backup, yeah, like, you're there to do that's it. That's a bad title. Yeah, that, <laughs> I'll that's be the a one bad to title. Say it. Right, and you're you're in a position to do it. But I mean, I will say it is that fine line of um, when you're getting notes from somebody. You know, you never have to say anything but yes. You know, right. because you can just you're just going to work on it later. And the same thing goes like when you when 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 everybody wants to talk to you about uh, you know how would you feel about like when they want to talk about the terms of what you're going to be doing like we need you to come in five days a week and blah blah blah. we don't have any money to pay it's going to uh-huh that sounds great and then your agent handles everything but right. you just in That's the room right. your job is to agree with everything that everybody says and be somebody that they want to work with. Right. And that's like it's a huge... amazing. I've learned so much. And the hilarious thing is, like, with texting, it's brilliant. She's like, I hate this word. <laughs> and then there'll be a pause. She's like, oh, no, no, I'm just writing down. I'm just like, no, you're not. You're texting me. <laughs> so you get to, like, blow it off. And But it's. I've learned a lot from her, a lot, a lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, now, over the years, so since Judging Amy, were there any uh, other ones that you worked on that didn't go, and, and, and what was your experience on some of the other ones that you've worked on along the way? Or, or... Um, since, well, uh, let's see, after Judging Amy, uh, I had to have a, I couldn't produce because I had to raise my kids, so that private practice fit in quite nicely. Um, I, uh, yeah, there were two, there was an FBI show that my sister-in-law is an FBI agent, um, so it was based on her marriage that I mm. sold to uh, ABC, and Karen Croner wrote that uh, with me. That didn't go, although that was like, that wasn't, the idea wasn't, it's interesting. It was like I like to. Well, if you can, why do you think it didn't go? Because I, I think you know these. When you put a show together, you know this. There's a million ways it can fail. It has to work. There. Are, whenever a show gets made, it's the success of 15 people. It's usually not the success of one person. Like right. it's all Camino kind of thing. Why? What would you say is the reason that didn't go? Do you think there was an inherent flaw in? The script no, or the... I, no, I think it was it was sort of an upstairs downstairs. Sort of, again, this is my my sister in law Tracy um, was a she loved. I mean, she was being groomed to be sort of sit at a desk, and she she was like, ah, oh, she has some ADD. She's like, I want to run. She calls it running and gunning. So she was running and gunning, and then her uh, wonderful husband was like, really right under the director. So you know, he'd be sort of his job was to do these PR moves, and she was like, you know, there's no copy. Like the, it's hilarious. Like Tracy, these stories are. You know, like knitting during a stakeout, like stuff you never see. I was like, what? I was like, I was like, what happens when you have to go to the bathroom during a stakeout? She's like, it's really bad. It's really bad. <laughs> I mean, like, and she knits, so she would knit my kids' baby blankets on a stakeout, and then, and then the the, the young guys are all jacked up. She's like, hold on, cowboy. You know, she just. Um, just put this so in the now. essential relationship was great. Uh, you know, we had. I'm trying to remember. We had a crap um, uh, development guy, or exec. Yeah. Who would like just fuck us up. One guy. And then it, it turns out guy. that he was like, the network actually liked what we were doing, but the studio guy was like, no, it was like, it, it was sort of a weird, we, we sort of lost our way. And then also it is very hard for me to multitask. Like, I think I was, you know, I was on private practice and it was like, it's not going to work out. I was like, oh, well, I don't know. Like, I, I, I think that for me, it's like for things like last spring when we shot the pilot of this thing, that's all I was doing. And 
It's what it takes. Yeah. It's what it takes. It's like you just... Well, again, what I think is interesting about that, once again, like this is a, a learning thing for me because I have to tell you, I sometimes chase the sellable thing, you know, which is always a mistake because by the time you get there with your script, it's so like yesterday's news. But both of these projects you're talking about have a personal connection to you. All of them. But I'm in a luxury... I make my living as an actor. Right, right. So to me, it's like if I'm going to... If I'm called to develop something, it's because... I mean, I had this other thing that I love. I still love. Tell that us. Alexa, well, I'm going to make it work. Do you know Alexa Young? No, you guys don't know Alexa. Anyway. Uh, it's called The Procrastinator. It was, you know, those people that have, um, they're all but dissertation. You know, those like 40 year old ladies that are, were like lived yeah. in your college dorms. Like, who are they really? You know? Yeah. So I love when they say got, that I'm going for my PhD. That's right. when I'm like, I don't know what that means. Right. I'm going for my PhD. It like, means they of, haven't written the paper. Yeah, yeah. So, but it just, it seems to be like when they say it, it's almost like saying I'm a doctor. Like, yeah, I'm going right. for my PhD. Right. And it has the whip right. of, you're never getting there. So right? am I. Like, and, um, <laughs> both, right. yeah. Oh, no. Um, and I got okay, some yeah, money from Yahoo to, there's 22 minutes of Anne played my sister. It's like it's my favorite thing ever. And then I tried to sell that to HBO, and it, that was a really interesting case. Oh my god, this was so interesting. I'm telling you, these 22 minutes are so fucking awesome, and it's like you can go in different areas, and it, and I thought like, oh my god, like we shot the pilot for you, like you can see it, and we we uh, and it's cable, it's all cable, and um, so we trotted out to HBO on Showtime. The pitch was great. They. It was too finished. Like, they wanted to develop it. They liked to get you pregnant with it. And I was like, oh, I never. I would have thought it was. That's, this is, it's so funny to say that because we, when my writing partner and I pitch, we always leave a little something out of the pitch that we know they'll circle back to. Like, we'll just, we'll leave it like, okay, so wouldn't it be great if that person was the main guy's sister? Like, we've set it up so all the producers have to do is just tap it. Right. Like, we've shot the ball. Ooh, they so just smart. Touch it. And then when they say it, we're like, oh. What a great, we oh, now, wow. Now, if they don't buy it, they just contributed to something we're going to take and go somewhere else. Wow, so, I mean, it's always, right, right. They, they always want to be a part yeah. of it because it's got to justify who they are. They're, right. It justifies their existence in this world, you know? Right. I was gonna... fascinated by that. I really, and they're like, we love it, we love it, but, and then uh, my friend Rodrigo Garcia was like, no, nah, they like to develop, like, yeah. They... Yeah, they don't want to, you know, yeah, they don't want to, that's yeah. so funny. Um, okay. Uh, I want to talk about a little bit about your process when you write, because I know you write, and I remember this made me so mad. I, I think I saw you after this happened, but like, you, do you still have a place on Martha's Vineyard? Yeah. Your whole life is just sickening. I want you to know that. It's like, okay, all you guys got to do if you want to write, first go to Harvard, and get a, be a religion, what Comparative yeah, religion. Then fall off the grid for seven irons, seven years, roll into New York when you're 27. This is, this is how you do it. Okay, so what we're we talking about, the... Uh, writing oh, yeah, process. Oh yeah, so you're Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. And uh, I knew you were going there for Mar you were going there. And then I happened to be not at Martha's Vineyard, but on the Cape. And like I open up the Cape Gazette or whatever it is, and it's like Amy Brenneman stars in her one-person show at Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> and I'm like, when did you write that? And you're like, oh, kind of right before I went. It's just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Like, how did you find the time? Did you write it on the plane on your way there? Well, that oh, is my. really interesting. And I'm 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 just literally tomorrow. I'm gonna get a little. I have a little theater there that I noodle around with. No, this is really interesting. Oh, and isn't that adorable? I know, I know. <laughs> he hates me. He's like Don Rickles. He's like so mean. No, I'll tell you what happened with that. So what happened with that was I was going, I'm a theater, you know, I was like, it was going, I, was, I hadn't done a play for a while. I was going nuts. I was like, ah, I got to do a play. So I said, to, I was like, okay, July 11th and 12th, I'll do a play. Then, and I knew, and it was going to be direct address and telling stories, but then I also had a little, some scenes I wanted to write, but like nice flowy, you know, how you do. 
And then I got uh, sick. I was really sick six years ago. Um, I had my ended up having my colon taken out, and uh, I had ulcerative colitis and was sick, like sick, sick, sick. So that fall, I was getting. It was like, oh my god, like I ha- I'm going to have to have the surgery. And I called up my partner, my uh, directing, my friend Sabrina, and I, I was like, you know what, I, I, I'm going under, man. I mean, this is a big fucking deal, and I gotta, you know, just heal. And she said, yeah, she's like, absolutely. But she said. She said this great thing, she's, and this is more for theater stuff, but she said, if you have it in you to keep writing, what thematically, what you wanted this piece to be about, which is these sort of awakenings, is actually happening in that hospital room. Like, it is, and don't worry about scenes, don't worry about sentence, like, just write down, just write. So I wrote down the list of um, medications and treatments that I'd had over the past five years, and it read like a lyrical poem. I was like, Humera, and this, and I just wrote it down. And then I started writing my surgeon, who was a fucking freak, but so entertaining, and I just started writing that. So I wrote in bits and bobs, like, and I just try, it's very much like your group, like I'm not, like, okay, rational mind, okay, okay, go over there. Like, what, it, just keep writing, keep writing. And it was quite an extraordinary experience, actually, you know? Well, it also, uh, one of the things uh, we talk about a lot of times with young writers come to me is, is creating your own content, because that's such an important part of the world we now live in. Like, now, if you're an actress or an actor, and, you know, we were, like, headshot and resume, right. it doesn't mean anything. Now it's like, what do you have on Actors Access? What do you, you have to be generating your own content. And a lot of times we talk about one person, one, one man, one woman plays. And I always say it has to be something really personal. Like you can't just go up there and talk about, and this is for all of you. Do you know Sam Pancake, the actor? I don't know if you know. He's, mm. But he's a great, he's very gay, this great actor. And he did a one-person show about, he grew up on like a plantation, or no, a former plantation called Mill Meadow. And he was like the last heir of a crumbling. And he was flaming. And it was just such a personalized oh, yeah, yes, story. Yes. And that is, as you're talking about right. the creation of this, such a personal story, you know? Well, I, this, this piece I'm noodling around, my daughter has uh, cognitive special needs. And I have, I, it's like, I, there's so many different ways to sort of delve into that. And so many, like, and uh, we got a, a neuropsych evaluation. I don't know if any of you parents are out there. But anyway, it's really fascinating and somewhat soul-searing. And I got this neuropsych. And it was like, it's so startling to watch a loved one be, and it was, the lady was nice, it wasn't a traumatic experience, but the neuropsych is going to be um, the, the Bible for the show. I'm going to keep going back to the neuropsych and just reading it, because it fucking is unbelievable. So I do feel like I smell the juice, but that's also as a performer, I don't know, but I, I guess it's the writing piece of me too. Yeah, I, well, I, I, would, I would think all those things matter. I mean, it's a collage, it's, yeah, the yeah, collage, collage, gathering the that, collage. That sort of speaks to the, the, the way that you write, because it sounds like a lot of people, I try to keep people focused, you know, a lot of times when people come to me, I often say they bring this big thing, and my job is to like squish it into like something this big, you know, so right. it's chopping this off, chopping that off, but sort of a, so do you start with like sort of a free flow, like it sounds like you just start writing. Without a shape, without really even knowing what it's going to be when right. you're done. Right, right. And, and then do you create an outline out of that, or is it just you write and write and write and then do the snipping and um, find later? I write, well, for this kind of thing, I um, had a great, a friend of mine who's a visual artist said, you know, we collect with abandon and then we prune. So I'm, I'm in collecting mode right now. Right, right, right. And then I shape it really with my, I'm a big collaborator. Mm-hmm. I can't barely wipe my ass without helping you know with somebody yeah, else yeah. I mean I, I really I can I can gather I can generate 
but then I'll just sort of vomit it up to Sabrina, and she'll sort of cut and paste. Well, and you can get it's because you're working. You know what? Working in a vacuum, it, it can make you so crazy just to start with. Right. But what I, I always feel like when I'm working alone without collaborating or saying it out loud is you pick up this bad thread, you know, right. and you just go way out right. there on this bad thread. And by the time someone comes and wants to snip it, it's too late. Like, you've right. already determined. Right, like, right. But then you say, well, fuck it. I don't even want to write it now. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That was a right. big waste of my time. Right. You know? But, um, you know, what, that's one of the things we... And, and then, do you ever... Like, so when you're shaping, do you ever go through... Because this is something everybody asks about, like, writer's block. There are times that oh, you have yeah. to write. And what do you do to solve it? And it's okay. Well, you can tell us your foofy thing if that's what you do. And we'll, we'll, make, a, we'll make the poor man's version of it. Uh, well, I don't... <laughs> you go somewhere. Do you he hates me so much. No. I mean, I don't have to write. <laughs> yeah. So what's horrible is, like, I don't have... So I'm like, I don't... You know, I'm... Although, you know, I was telling these guys that... So last fall, I was I was in a really good rhythm, and I was writing really regularly, and I was I have a friend of mine who like put something up on her website every Monday, and I was like, I'm going to do that, and I wasn't shooting, and I felt great about it, and I really liked, I mean, at least half of the things, I was like, I really like that. But for me, the writing is such a place of freedom and joy, I don't have to do it, and I'm scared to put any, this is my little secret, any time I've had to do anything, I just like freeze, like a little gerbil. So I, uh, this, this book agent was like, I really like you, this, these, right? And she's like, I think it could be a book. And, and all she said was like, you know, for a proposal, like basically organize them. I mean, it's already, you know, a lot of it's already there and maybe like chapter headings or, you know, uh, that was last January. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, one of the things- Because I will say this, that uh, then Heartbreaker got picked up. What I realized, and you know, I'm a mom, I'm a working actor, and I'm a producer. Everything comes before my own writing. Everything. And that, but it's driving me fucking batshit. And what's weird is I picked up my fucking college notebook mm. and I'd said the same thing. <laughs> because it's a tricky thing as a performer. It's like, oh, I mean, it's also my living. So it's like, oh, you choose me? Okay, good. And like, whatever, whatever, inner voice, like, get over there. Right, right. But it, it's great to be here, honestly. And because and, I realized, like, if I don't start taking it seriously, I'm going to go well, a little nutty. You know, it's funny because when you say this, because a lot of times, one of the biggest things we talk about is, what do you do when you're on page 65 and the, your whole world's falling apart and you're like, oh my God, like, what have I done? I didn't have a good outline. You know what I mean? And one of the things that's really hard for me at this stage of my career is I don't really write anymore when I'm not getting paid. I mean, now I'm kind of that guy. But, right. And so I don't have an answer for that because what keeps me going is I have to. Like, I don't have a chance, choice. And, you know, it's funny. I'll tell you, one of the advantages of being a young writer is in golf, there's something called the yips. And what that means is when you're young, you can putt really easily, but as you get older, short putts, you kind of stand over too long. And I've been writing so long that I get the yips. Like, I'm like, oh, I tried that once before and it didn't work. And so, like, I get the yips. But the one thing an older writer has is the experience of knowing you are going to finish it. You know, you will get it done. And when you're not getting paid, that's when you really, that separates you from the other people that are trying to be writers. Is, and I, so I, I have the same problem you have, which is if I don't have a, something telling me it has to be done at this stage of my career, right. I hate to say it, I don't know that I'm ever going to find right. that anymore. And know? as an actor, it's like I like, you know, it's like you have to be there at six a.m. and I hate the scene, I'm terrible at it, but it's my job, you know. And I know, you know, so that's you just figure it out, and then by the end, it's like, oh, that was actually pretty good, you know. Yeah. Because uh, you have to do it. Yeah. So. So that, that, but, but that is the thing. Like for all you people that are, is you gotta push through that thing and say, I'm the guy who doesn't need to get paid to finish this this project. I'm the one who's gonna self motivate because it's, right. it's so hard not to. Um, I want to talk a little bit just more about well Hollywood in general because a lot of people 
come here from different places, and nobody has the same story. I mean, my story in, in terms of how I broke into this business is that I uh, I knew Lauren Graham, and I was a writer, but Lauren Graham was on a show, and she had a pod, she had a, a, a one of those deals on, you know, those producer deals that they give, right. uh, vanity deals, sometimes what they call them. <laughs> they just give it to actors and actresses to make them happy, to make them feel like doing something. And because we were friends, she didn't know any writers. She had me come in. They bought it. They bought the script. And then now I'm in, you know. How do I, like, how do, so what am I going to tell people? Like, become, you know. Friends like, with Lauren Graham. So many, yeah, <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, she's yeah, the ticket. the only way to do it. Um, I will tell you guys one funny story about that. It sort of goes back to what you were saying about the notes you get and the way that projects, we're talking about what went wrong with that project. Um, it, was, it was a nanny project. It was basically the pitch was, like, what if Jack Black were your nanny? And it was right after that movie, uh, You Can Count on Me with Mark Ruffalo, came oh, out. Yeah. So it was sort of that. It was like a little bit of a darker thing. And my lawyer had the great idea that we would call it the Goldfinger Stolberg Project because that way our people would start to get to know our names, right? Like, this is a great idea. So, like, on the last day of pitch season, we read in the <laughs> trades that the Mark Burnett Nanny Project had sold <laughs> to the exact same network, you know? And then you go through, like, the stages of denial where you, at first you're like, this isn't a, like, I'm with my, with my writing partner, Josh, I'm like, this isn't a big deal, blah, 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 ha, 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 ha. And then, like, then you get really tired. And then, like, you go call your agent. You're like, is this a business? <laughs> a really, really bad thing. But, you know, that's just one of the many ways. That turned into, like, major... That, that thing was a terrible... Everything went wrong with that project. But there are so many ways for deals to fall apart. And there are so many ways in, and I know that I just kind of went off on a tangent. But, uh, so when you think about Hollywood and, you know, your experiences here, because I always feel like if I could take my knowledge now and go back and apply it then, you know, what's something that you found to be really positive about Hollywood and the community? Is that too difficult a question? No, I, I, my life started when I, I mean, I yeah. loved it. I mean, I, it's weird. I mean, I came out to do NYPD Blue, and I met my husband immediately, and I was like, oh, I'll never marry somebody from California. It's like my husband grew up in Sherman. It's like the healthiest, you know, I was like, oh, like, so all of that. And what I, I, I feel like it's, it's Athens. It's the marketplace. I mean, it's like the idea that, oh, I can have an idea, and then really the next day sit down and talk to somebody about it. And I, to me, again, because I'm a collaborator, um, I don't fantasize about being in some small town. Like, I, that does, you know, I mean, literally you can, I mean, not that it's easy, but there are, we're, all, we're all here. We're all thinking. We're all storytellers. It's my people. Um, so to me, it's always felt um, really homey in that way. Yeah, I agree. And I also feel like you never know who's going, who's where, you know? So everybody is two weeks away from a, something great happening or yeah. two weeks away. So it really does feel really collaborative. And that that's, goes for everybody here. Like, you could be two weeks away from all of it happening. You know, it happens so fast. There are so many ups and downs. And you learn, like, it's going to sound so awful, but it's kind of hard to not to be, I, I feel bad about this, but, like, because all of my friends are in the business. And I sometimes feel really guilty about that. But it's only because it's so interesting to hear what everybody's working on, you know? And that's what, you know, one of the, one of the things I love about Hollywood. Is yeah. That everybody's creative in their own way. Doing, and, like, the stuff you're doing is so different from what I'm doing. I mean, I, I'm really always trying to come up with ideas that I can sell. And I, I feel it, it's soul-crushing for me, you know? Right. It seems like you do have the luxury. Your world is creating the things that mean something. You know? Right. Right. And it is a luxury. Yeah. It is. That's um, why it's good to be me. What's the negative? <laughs> good, good to be you. You know, I gotta tell you, I think we just got to it. Like, I don't know that there's anything left. I, I don't think you need to. Um, but, but let me ask you, what do you think some of the negative? What do you think some of the traps are for people like that might be new to Hollywood? What are some of the things that you like? One thing I can tell you is, if someone wants to meet with you about your project, and you're telling them you've done your research on them, and you're telling them all the things you like about what they're doing, and they're telling you all the stuff that they like about what you're doing. 
nobody at that meeting has the juice to get anything done. That's just my experience. <laughs> that whenever two people are so, I just heard this happen in this in this very coffee house today. I heard two people just overly praising the other, and I'm like, basically, this is a meeting where nobody has the ass. It's like everybody's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, but, but so those are like the little things I've learned, right, you know, right. about this town. I'm wondering, like, what are some things, like, if you could advise, you know, like like the thing about. Um, you know, all those things about signing with managers and, or I don't know, like all that. If, if, in your experience, have there been some bad experience where you're like, oh, that's, you know. I mean, it sounds really cheesy, but um, just to be comfortable in your own skin and, you know, do all that kind of whatever you got to do to feel comfortable. Because I do, I do think in this kind of interesting, do I think about what's sellable or what I care? I mean, there's got to be that, like, why am I, like, I, I do feel this way as an actor, um, it's like I, I, sometimes it's like I'm the only one that can do that, you know? And then sometimes it's like, actually, you're better at that. Like, what is my, you know, again, I can do various things and I'm a trained professional, so, but to know, like, what is my, what is actually my contribution? What can nobody else do? And just right. have that as a little jewel, you know, of like, I, I think it gives you like your own little inner contribution. There's that great line, I don't know who said it, but you know, I'm sure it's an oh everybody knows this quote, but um, be you because everybody else is taken. Yeah, and, and you yeah. know I really do. If anybody knows it, shout it out. Who said it? I don't. I don't want to. Ah, thank you. That's <laughs> look at look at look who's look who's got it. Holiday Reinhold Wayne. That's right. Horn. What's that? Horn. Horn. Oh, and I've been doing that. How many years have I been doing that? From the beginning. From the very very beginning. I was I'm judging Amy. No. Right. I was judging Amy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, 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 uh, <laughs> right, and so, but I think that is you know. That's something that I feel like just talking with you tonight that I'm really learning about, which is why not like choose the things that you know Neil Simon once he, did, he didn't get his first play made. He always would lament about how he didn't get his first play made till it's played made until his early 30s. Never mind that he wrote on like the show of shows or whatever it was with Mel Brooks and all yeah, these amazing yeah. Woody yeah. Allen and all these great people. But he said nobody wanted to make his plays because he thought they were too over the top. But he just kept writing them, and by the time they started making them, he was the only one that could do it. And he had four plays running concurrently. His first four plays running concurrently on Broadway. Uh, one, wow. two, three, four years. Oh, my yeah. God. And nobody, he finally, did, he couldn't be ignored anymore. And I, I do think the thing that I, like hearing you say that, what I look back on is I wish I, I had spent more time trying to figure out what exactly, because I started off wanting to write plays, and I did write plays. That's how I started. I mean, I got, did some plays that got some heat in Chicago, which led to me believing in myself enough to write a screenplay. But I just kind of abandoned all that the minute I, you know, started to sell because, you have a family, you know, right. you know in, in, in my particular instance. Um, okay, something I want to, so you read a lot of scripts, right? I mean, well, you don't read the scripts that you're in? Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to think that you read the scripts. That you're in. I do read the scripts. What are, I'm just wondering if there are any things that you see that are telltale signs of, like, what are you looking for? I mean, that, that you can sink your teeth into, that you're excited to do, and are there any things that you see that where you're like, I do not want to do this? I mean, anything that surprises me or anything new or, you know, a kind of a complex idea. Um, you know, I, when you read, when you really read like a cheesy comedy or even, I mean, I think what's cheesier, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, like my friend Lisa Shu, our friend, you know, she, when she went on CSI, I was like, oh my God, like that to me is, would be very challenging. You know, and she's like, but they're paying me a lot of money that's in town in two days. I'm like, definitely, fucking go for it, you know. Um, but that is... We, I think that's how we got to do Piranha. <laughs> <laughs> similar yeah. way. Um, but that's... That's... I, I kind of glaze over it. It's like, because also, I've been, I've been around enough where it's like, uh, you know, I mean, the, re the way Damon Lindelof caught me on Leftovers is he said, uh, he's, like, he's like, here's why you shouldn't do this part. I said, okay. 
said, it shoots in New York, you have no lines, and you don't wear any makeup, and I was like, I'm in, I'm in. Like, that's, yeah. like, interesting. I haven't done that. Yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen anybody do that. Like, it's, it's going to be terrible, yeah. but, you know. He didn't include it, and you're never going to understand what the hell's going on. And you're never going to understand. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's funny, because we both know Tom Speziali, who is the... Oh, he's so uh, he's lovely. Sure. He's such a great guy. Oh, my God. Uh, my, Jen and I, my wife, introduced him to his wife, so that's how we know each other. Oh, yeah. Brenda is, we okay. know Brenda. But um, I remember when he went on that show... I remember thinking, I want to say something to him, but I won't. And I said, but what do you have planned? And he go. He, he, by the way, was a speaker last year uh, in the speech series. And he said, I think I'm going to get some of those people talking. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's right. But thank God. It's going to be really good. I mean, that's really good in a book, and it's really good in other places, but it is a bit of a medium where you want people to speak. Right. Though right. I thought it was really cool. I just was wondering how long that could sustain. Yes, of course. Um, of all right, course. I wanna, I'm going to open this up to some questions. Do you mind okay, taking no. But first, I'm gonna, we're going to play a little game. I don't know if this is going to be any fun, but I just invented it. And it's called... How old are you in Hollywood years? Oh, okay. Okay, it's three questions, and we'll just see if you have your finger on what's going on in Hollywood. Three questions. Okay. Which of these are not available on your phone, on your iPhone, like if you, okay? My free implants, a crowdfunding website to get women breast implants. They can raise money to get breast implants. Places I've pooped, a place to keep track of all the places you've pooped. Cat paint, an app that allows you to add cats to all of your pictures. Or email hot buttons an app that allows you to enter your email by pressing one key? It seems like they all, they're all worthy candidates. Uh, I'd say pooped. One of them is pooped. not real. Pooped. That is real. The oh. not real one is the email hot button, which is my idea, but I want someone to come oh, up Oh, I think I thought I had email. email. Like What's you, that? You just press yeah, one thing. Oh, it does exist? Yes. All right, then, there, then it was a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> they all exist. Wait, someone has to say, I looked for that. I didn't find it. All right. Yeah. We'll Wait, now I think we know how old the old one is in Hollywood years. This is really embarrassing. Okay, which show is not a new show this fall? All right. Benders, an ensemble comedy at IFC about a group of friends who bond over their love of hockey. The Detour, the TBS show is about, this TBS show is about a couple that takes their family on a disastrous road trip to Florida. Wrecked, a TBS show where a plane crashes on a deserted island where two losers in life become heroes in a disaster. Or The Diverted, a star show where a man with a successful career in law turns vigilante to get justice on a group responsible for his son's horrific death. The third one. The third one is a show oh, okay. on TBS. The fourth one is The Diverted, which is just a title I picked that I could imagine some really pretentious producer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. All right, good. So not bad. Not okay. bad. So far you're doing all right. Last question. <laughs> Twitching is A, a form of entertainment where people watch other people doing drugs, a term for a dating show that tells people lies about their girlfriends and boyfriends, a form of entertainment C, sorry, we're on C, a form of entertainment where people watch people play, other people play video games, or D, a form of punking with the intent of watching somebody freak out. C. Oh. C. Is it C? What? Who asked you? <laughs> All right, now we're never going to know about Hollywood years. But the answer is C, and you are forever young, so you don't have to worry. What's that? All right, C is a form of entertainment where people watch people play video games. And I want to just tell you all, there's a guy, Brady, is it Pootie Pie? Is that his name? Oh, Pootie Pie. Oh, I know Pootie Pie. And his girlfriend, right? video games, yeah. and people pay money to watch him. And he makes, I think, between seven and eleven million dollars a year. He's like Danish or Swedish, making, yeah, make, yeah. Which means it makes about probably a hundred million dollars a year. 
PewDiePie got uh, engaged on, yeah, I know all about PewDiePie and his girlfriend. And yeah, sweet, right, yeah, so that's right. what he did. So this is, I just wanted to leave you guys with that bit of inspiration. That's where, that's where, that's where uh, advertising eyes are now focusing, is on watching other people play video games. And I'm wondering if your acting troupe in the desert of Nevada is still around. And yeah. you can go join it and <laughs> start there. Um, all right, Amy, thank you so much. Thank we you. are going to take some questions. Okay. But thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. But I do, it's okay, want to take a little time to ask questions. And people can ask questions right away. You can ask questions about anything, if that's okay yeah. with you. All right, questions. Ooh. Yes. So um, I just had a baby, and you mentioned kids that you took time off, and you're like that, like writing is the last thing. Did you stop writing? I mean, because you said you've been writing since forever. Did you stop writing? I'm finding that I can't form complete sentences. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I probably. I mean, I I could when I had my daughter, I was on judging. I couldn't stop working. Just I would have stopped working, but I would have broken my contract. Um, I honestly would like do what my friend Sabrina told me. I mean, it's funny. I was on, I, I, I get, it's like the tyranny of the well-crafted sentence has to go. I just write down bits and bobs. And I saw that Amy Winehouse documentary. I was so moved by that. And like, so great. It's great. And the way she kind of transformed, you see the actual experience and then how, um, but I started thinking about, I've been reading a lot of Mary Oliver, like think like a poet, think like a lyricist, just like don't. Because I, that is my problem. It's like I want to, I mean, again, like I, I think what's great about my writing is like I can make sense of it and I do make sense of it, you know. But then it's like when I'm in the midst of, just write, think like a poet. Just write down words and slobber. I want to talk for one second about that great sentence you said, which is the tyranny of a well-crafted sentence. And uh, for a lot of you, I know that that's really difficult. You write one bad sentence and you're stuck. You know, like for me, if I'm writing something and I write a few bad pages, one bad scene, it sometimes can take me days to recover because you start to have these moments where you're like, oh my God, like I live in fear that this town's going to figure me out. They're going to suddenly realize that I'm a total fraud and it's all going to go away. We and, have all figured that. Yeah, everybody here has already figured that. But, you know, Neil Simon, as you can tell, I'm a big fan, he used to say that he always imagined that it would all end with him writing letters home for Portuguese sailors. Like, he'd be, that would be like the, the last job that he has. You know, after, I love that Portuguese yeah, sailors. Yeah, very specific. A very specific, yeah, very, a very specific uh, uh, skill set. But don't let the well-crafted, the, the tyranny of the well-crafted sentence stop you from writing. Something I've been telling a lot of people lately, young people, is I, I really demand an outline from everybody, everybody, but I always say, if you want to write a first act, there's nothing wrong with that, because nothing's going to really happen anyway until you... The first act is setting up the rest of the movie anyway, so why not set up the rest of your movie anyway, and we'll take it from there, you know? So, but that's, that's something I could learn yeah. a lesson from, because I am really held down by that. Good. Any other... Come on, questions. Who's got them? Yes. I have a question. It's actually kind of for both of you. Um, thinking back to those days of NYPD Blue and Judging Amy, I'm a total, I can't talk about film because I like it, but I'm a total TV freak. And you could turn on the TV and there were so many good choices. How do you deal with all of this reality crap in the business <laughs> taking up that big Thanks. Cable, baby. I think yeah, there's no, more good TV cable. now. It's just, it just got chased off of network. I agree with you. But, I mean, the other thing that happened with, um, with network television is, I didn't realize this. Like, I, I was on private practice, and we were doing these read-throughs, and I was like, it's so choppy. Like, why is it so like, ah, oh, Shonda has a style. It's so choppy. I didn't realize it had gone to six-act breaks. Like, I literally didn't. <laughs> nobody gave me the memo. So the acts were longer. 
with judging Amy. And then and then they're shorter now. So the thing I'm doing now is six actually. That's a really short that's just like so again, like it would be tragic if like cable wasn't like, are you fucking kidding me? We're making movies over here. I mean, there's so much so much I mean it's almost like It's the golden era. It no, is. I mean it's, really, it's I it's, sat down with this so guy. It has, so it has an effect. It did. No, this is a I'm gonna you don't get paid in. as I'm wide. jumping in, Amy. I'm jumping in. This is what I'd say is that was the right question to, like two or three years ago. Everybody was really scared of that. Like that was the big thing and it was awful and it was a lot of jobs going away. But then what's happened is all these cable networks really opened up with great content. And, they, and like, um, like uh, my husband directed something for Amazon, a pilot, and, um, and I was like, oh, Amazon, I'm like, I bet they don't pay that much. And he's like, no, they actually pay, they pay really well. He's like, think about their deep pockets. So it's this really interesting corporate structure where it's a fledgling network, but they, it's like, he, he said, it's like a rich kid, like paying to get good friends. I mean, they're, so they, yeah. it's like a very weird moment. And not to say it's all quality, but, um, and, and honestly, there's they- There's a lot of quality. And, yes. and, and the thing is, is, this is the thing that I am sort of having a little shade in Freud right now, is that the networks, their, their template is no longer working, which is, I remember when they were trying to fill in that spot after Friends, like between Friends and Seinfeld. They went through a million things because they didn't realize it was all ending. Like it was all yeah. these, they were, you were never going to get those shares that they were looking for. And so this idea that the, the networks have, this is just something I think, that, w that they are going to make a pilot that's then going to go and they're going to sell it to advertisers, which is what they, what they do, and then they're going to decide whether, or they're going to make a pilot and then decide whether or not that's what they want to do. You can't really do that and do something quality. I remember Tina Fey said when she on the DVD commentary at 30 Rock, she wouldn't do a commentary on the pilot because she hated it so much. And if you see it, it's really bad because they're trying to get so much information out and they're trying to make it palatable for everybody. Yeah, and they're yeah. trying to come up with shows. My, uh, Tom Spezialli, I think he's, he's the one who said that um, it's like they're just trying to find a block that people will leave, like old people will leave, leave on the TV, you know, which is such an inspiring <laughs> message, you know. But I think on cable, that's where they have a different, like, you know, when along comes when Netflix or, uh, yeah, Netflix, Netflix or Amazon, some people think it's Netflix, and says we're going to buy 13 episodes of um, House of Cards, you know, David Fincher thinks, yeah, I'll do that, thank you. Yeah. I'll do 13 episodes of something before it even airs. It's or Soderbergh directing all of the Nick. Like, that's like, wow. So that's just a one long... Yeah, I mean, I, I find it really interesting because you can say... Because I had this idea... Oh, this is another thing that didn't go. Oh, let's have my list of Here failures. Um, wow. I actually had, and it was a, a friend, a, a, a agent at the time, manager, I don't know, something, somebody who took a portion of my money. <laughs> she said, you love Martha's Vineyard so much, you should do something about a summer community. And there is a very unique, anybody that... I mean, it's a very unique kind of thing because you go off and you have your real life and yet the elemental things the things you know is is over this and I was like oh my god it's a 10 week thing and it literally goes from memorial day to labor day and every week you know is this marker of you know there's the clamp thing there's this or that and uh, Greg Berlanti actually I was working with him on it and they were and and ABC was like it needs to be 22 it has to be 22 I was like is, this is not a 22 this is a summer I'll tell you exactly what it is you program in the summer it's a summer burn and Absolutely. you and it would be amazing and delicious and they're like no and I'm like like now now you can say I think this is a 10 episode idea like you literally no. you know you, you can't always but you don't it's so great because the content kind of drives you know yeah I think it's 
I think the networks are kind of a slave to their own system at this point, and they're going to have to evolve because I really think they're going to they're they're in a little bit of trouble in terms of the content that's coming out of these shows. And some of them they make for nothing, and they're amazing. But anyway. the funny thing about the Tina Fey story was that they were uh, they were NBC was doing Studio sixty with Aaron Sorkin. At the oh yeah, yeah right. And right. so the Saturday Night Live, they, so they just NBC just said, oh forget them. I mean they're just stupid little Saturday Night Live people. And they were putting all their I remember in that Studio sixty. And so Tina says, well. They just could have fun with it. They right. didn't have to worry about that. Yeah, they were. Well, that is a really good. I that is, I always like going under the radar. We had, when we did so we did the judging like we were picked up really late. We it wasn't a full pilot. It was a presentation. It was you know whatever. Tyne Daly's like, well, I don't know what is that. I was like, I don't know what it is. My husband directed it. My mother was the advisor. I mean, it was so scrappy. And no, I didn't think it was going to go. And I hoped it wouldn't go because there was this producer who made my life a living hell. I went to India. We passed in the pilot. I went to India. I didn't have any kids yet. I prayed at various and sundry temples that um, it would not be picked up. <laughs> because I, I was like, I can't fucking do this. It's too hard. And I hate that guy. And then it was picked up. I was like, oh, fuck. But then, um, so then we had a cast of like eight Three, and there were three recasting, right? One, the little girl, the original little girl, she was sort of annoying and bad, so we had to recast her. The, 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 the part that turned into Richard Jones uh, was sort of a different part entirely. But then um, this guy, Kurt Fuller, like a really good actor, played my brother, my oldest brother. And, um, and we heard from the network, like, you have to recast Kurt Fuller. I was like, but he's great. Like, he was so great. It's like... But Les Moonves has never liked him. He's never liked him. I was like, well, why did he let him cast him in the pilot? He didn't think it would go. Oh, God. He didn't think yeah. it would go. He didn't really pay that much attention to it. You yeah. know? And I was like, oh. Well, there's a, that's another thing that happened. My, uh, one of the shows I worked on years ago was called Come to Papa with uh, Tom Papa, and they cast Steve Carell on it. Uh, it was NBC, and t Tom didn't really want, I mean, it wasn't they didn't want him, but they really wanted Steve Carell. They want Steve Carell. They want Steve Carell. They want Steve Carell. So they do it. And apparently Steve Carell passed the test because they moved him right away over to the office. He was playing an office manager. That's what he was oh. playing on the show. And they already had the office in development. And right. Tom always felt like, oh, well, I'm glad, you know, it was a, te it was a nice testing ground to right. see if, you that's know, right. how he would do, you know. <laughs> so it was like, that's, that's what they were up against, you know. So they, they were hedging their bets, you know, on whether this thing was going on. Good. Any other questions? Questions? Yeah, in the back. Before you answer, I just want to repeat the question because you're way back. The question is, uh, do you tailor make your pitch, correct me if I'm wrong, depending on what network you're going to? No, I don't think so. I mean, you, you feel out the room. I have been told, uh, I've been told that actors are very good pitchers uh, because we are performers and we can, we know if we're landing or not. So no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I mean, I, I, guess, I guess if there's something specific that you're giving a heads up, like, oh, they already have this. This might overlap with something, so maybe pump up how different. Or, I, I don't should, know. I, th I disagree in that I think you should know the network you're going to, like what's on there. Like you want to just because I think there is, you know, certainly if you're right. if you're selling a, a half hour and you go to CW, you, they don't make half hours. So I'm just saying there, right. there are some things you may have to tailor. But I what I love about this is she's the one who I learned tonight is not thinking about the sellable, and I always am. So that, <laughs> that's why you might get different answers on that one. But yeah, that's a good question. 
don't listen to her. Make sure <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's, I, yes. I mean, I think you, you, you need to know who you're speaking to and what they're interested in and the brand of their, you know. But I think more to the point, honestly, is um, connect with the people you're talking to. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And, and listen, if it's, oh, my God, we, well, when we sold uh, Heartbreaker, so Jill, it was Jill, we sold it in the room to Universal. And it was me and Jill and Kathy, the really, the doctor, right? And um, so Jen Sulky, I mean, she did mumble, that the, the head of the network under Bob Greenblatt. Like, in fairness to us, she did mumble. But Jill was like, we got a yes. It's time for us to go. Because I'm like, what happened? Like, get out of the room. Get out of the room. Like, you're, you sold it. And she, and Jill's like, I've, I've, I've sold it and then had it taken away because some it's weird other thing comes stupid. in. It's like, wait, what? Like yeah. that, you know? So that is, um, I've, I've learned a lot about that. Yeah. Well, that, again, I want to go back to just something you talked about before, which is about pitching something that's near and dear to your heart. I, I always, when I've sold stuff, I always felt like my preamble story had a lot to do with it. Because sometimes I would make them up. But, <laughs> but the thinking is, you want to let them know, like, this is a personalized story. I'm bringing you something that no one else could tell because right. I have this story. That's why a lot of times... It, you guys probably heard about this, but a lot of times people are trying to get movies greenlit by writing comic books first and then saying, it's a comic. Alloy, there's a company called Alloy. They often write books that they want to make into shows because they know that having the book as, as a, holding up the book and saying, look, it's a book, gives it more gravity because it feels like, oh, this is, there's only one of these, you know? So the more you can pitch it as your, as you, your neat yeah. story, the, then they feel like they're getting something no one else can give them. So that's, I think, an important element. Yes. And both of your, sounds like all of your stuff falls under that. Pretty category. much. Well, I have yeah. no imagination. That's right. You have, <laughs> uh, that's not true. Yes. How far along do you have to be in your, you know, I'm, I'm an actor. I'm just starting with the writing process. And so how far along do you have to be with your idea for a concept, say you want to write something that you can be involved with personally, um, with that? Because I'm hearing that the producers want to have their say, want to be able to steer things a certain way. So how much of it do you have to have prepared to actually make a convincing pitch? Um, usually what they want is um, the basic juicy premise. And again, the story engine that will continue forever. You know, like the story, I, I think that's very meaningful. It's like here's what we're going to return to. Um, the, the characters, you don't have to have all of them. Um, again, sort of the unique, the tone, you know. Um, I mean, with like with judging Amy, what was really important? It's like these people are witty and funny, and they have gallows humor. So it's not going to be Law and Order. So it's get the tone, I think, um, and then and then an example of an episode, or, or you know, you don't even. But I think it's more. Um, I think it's more like the people, the kind of you know when I because the way I did sell judging Amy is I told that story of my mother, you know, take and it was like it encapsulated. It's like okay. You're going to have the dignity of the law, and we'll do, it'll be a legal franchise, kind of. But really, there's going to be like a noises off thing of like, what is it like, you know, in this household? One thing I would just say to, to bullet point something is preamble. I like to say um, the characters and, and characters are so important because they're who we're going to be with. Characters, a little bit about what the pilot is. This is probably like this is where we start, and then some episode ideas. I mean, there's other things too, but those are the things I always try to hit when I do it. Episode ideas, not. No, just right. like a line this is the kind of thing know, we could, we're going to do a lot, you one know. Thing, like, I can come up with a hundred of these. I mean, right. I tell, there's one, I, I sold this show once, uh, I think it was called How to Be Rich by 30, and I, I knew I was in trouble when 
we were going and we already sold it to the, the studio, uh, the production, to CBS studio and now we're going to the network. And they said, just come up with like four episode ideas to pitch them. And I couldn't think of one. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. Thought, I am fucked. That's because right. Because if I can't think of one right now, I'm going to pick up two. Well, because that that is a thing where they'll say, "Oh, that's so that's intriguing," and I don't get what the show is or how is it going to be week to week. So I think any time you can reassure them, it's like, "Here's how it's yeah. going to be week to week." Can, I mean, franchises are easier, obviously, because it's like, "Oh, it's going to be fascinating medical." Like, that's a good idea to keep, to keep those episodes in your hip pocket, like I talked about. So when they ask, you're like, "Oh, what couldn't it be?" And then you just Act like it's, you know, from your ass to their ears when the truth is you had the whole thing prepared, you know. Good. Uh, any other questions? No other questions. Just one, one more question. question. Yeah. Um, when you pitched the pilot, did you already have the parallel with your mother being a social worker and, and then the, the legal and the social worker would... We had, you know, it's like funny. That. It's so funny. Like yeah, right? Um, yes. Yes, I think we did. Although in different um, versions, at one point... We were both judges because I couldn't. Well, I, I was sort of doing the math of like, but my real life mother's a judge. Like I couldn't kind of break my brain about like, wait, what? Um, but I think by the time, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you a terrible. You were talking about um, stealing ideas and stuff. This is a bad story, which was I had pitched judging Amy to a couple of different writing teams, and my first, the people I chose are Bill, uh, John Tinker and Bill D'Elia, who were coming off of. Chicago Hope, I think. And, and I had a manager, and I had my, I mean, I was, you know, I had, nobody told me to register. So what basically what happened was I, I walked out of the meeting, and I said to my manager at the time, Connie, I was like, I think I like these guys. She's like, she's like oh, you know what we should do? We have to register. And I was like, absolutely. So I went home, and I registered. So then, and then the, those guys flamed out. They were terrible. And then Barbara came in, and she was great. And, um, and then we went to Siri. You know, we got picked up. I didn't get a created by credit at first. They claimed that they had, they were like, well, you know, because they, I had met with them the day before it registered. I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Everybody, like, you gotta be kidding me. And the Writers Guild always likes their own, and I was not a member at that point. I think I am not, no, I don't know if I am not. And, uh, and we went to arbitration. I was like, this is insane. So then, and this was before emails and all. It's interesting to your point. Yeah. So my, my agent was like, you have to have, have something with a date on it that has some of the core thing. And I found, literally found this sheet of paper and it was like my grocery list and like little, and, but in the, it was like, you know, two brothers and a sister, central, like there were enough bullet points. But I still only got 30% of the created by credit. You had to share it with them? Yeah, those motherfuckers that took money off my show. I, I hate them. And they really did. They, they really did not have anything to do with it. Jack shit. Wow. Barbara Hall got a, got a develop by. So it'd be, it's created by Tinker and Dalia, me and my manager. Only they got 70%. I got 30% of my own fucking story. Now, I, I mean, I, I register everything. Yeah. I okay, fart so and I register, register it. I mean, it, it takes two seconds. I mean... <laughs> That thing I said, that little, that little note I gave you at the top. Well, it certainly doesn't help to. It doesn't help. Uh, it doesn't hurt to register it. But what I'm saying is, if you well are, now with email, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, don't th I, I, I have not heard this story happen in the e since the email thing yeah. came in because mostly because True. no one's willing to take that chance. Like you're just gonna look like such right. a dick, you know, if you will. Like some people don't care clearly. They don't. Uh, Bill D'Elia does. Yeah, Bill D'Elia did. Like, I saw him at some, like, oh, I just hate those guys. Just, like, tweet something bad about them? Totally. <laughs> it's like, why do they... I mean, in every, for, like, seven years or six years, however it was on, I was like, oh, I 
Do you want to get some people tweeting for you about your little, little drama that came up? Do you want to share yeah. that little drama or not really? Should I share my little drama? Share Should drama. I? Yeah. You've already written about it. It's, it's good. I didn't write about it. No, but you wrote about it in 2000. No, oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. People pro-choice, reproductive rights, important? Okay. Um, so I, uh, yes, yeah, so basically in 2006, back, you know, way back when, uh, I worked with Ellie Smeal at, at the um, uh, Fe uh, Feminist Majority, and they produced, they published Ms. Magazine. And so in 2006, so 1972, pre-Roe, they took this double truck out ad, and it said, we had abortions. Gloria signed it, like 50 women, and pretty risky, you know, illegal. Um, so 2006, because people, I mean, it's just the shaming and the thing and the thing. So we had abortions, and it was going to be a whole bunch of women, and then a couple celebrity types, me, Najimi, somebody else. I was the only one of them to do it. <laughs> like, everybody else backed out. Uh, it was fine. And then uh, and there was a little blowback, tiny bit of blowback. I did some press around it. Um, no, not a big deal. So I was on Huffington Post Live on Thursday, and, they, and I, I'm working with the Center for Reproductive Rights. There's actually this whole... I don't know if I want to shout my abortion, but I do think, like, I had abortions, what it looks like, like, let's, you know, one in three, let's, you know, can't the shame and the crazy, crazy shit that's going down. So uh, I was on Huffington's Live, and the woman said, you're very political, and you signed this thing, and, and I said, yes, and it was very spontaneous, and I said, you know, I had a, terminated a, a pregnancy when I was 21, and my boyfriend was very kind, and the doctor was very good. I mean, the idea that women don't have that opportunity, my daughter might not have that opportunity, it's crazy. The haters, the haters. I mean, I am like, if you, theamybrenneman.com, seriously, support me on Twitter because I, I have all this love and support, but man, the dead fetuses and the die, you fucking slut. And like, it is so violent and um, it's intense. And what I will say is the antis, that is what they do. They wake up in the morning and they terrorize people like me. All of us nice pro-choice people because we're respectful. We are not so vocal. Be vocal. Be vocal, like go on my Twitter feed and go like, I think Amy's awesome and like pro-choice because it's so, but I was like, wow, this is like this, it is like Eve in the Garden of Eve, like it is so ancient and, yeah. and it got to me like, I was alone with my kids on Saturday, my husband's away and it just had that violence. Yeah. But then, uh, but then my friend, uh who works with Martha Plimpton, said, this might make you feel better. And like Margaret Cho, Martha Plimpton, all these women that have had similar experiences, they did this thing called abortion Twitter theater, <laughs> where they basically, you know, sort of like they read the hate mail, and, they're, and they were, it was the most awesome reclaiming. Um, but, you know, gender wars, man, it is happening. But this might be a good way to, to end it. Um, I actually have the last, the ending of that short story you wrote. Can I just read it? Because it's so funny and it's a good ending. Do you remember this, this one you sent me? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, right, right. So this is the, she's such a good writer, and this will give you a little feel for what she writes, but she, was, she wrote about this experience, and she sent it to me. I don't think it's that wasn't That wasn't an abortion, though. I know. Right, that was an was almost. An yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, it, it's about that prior yeah. to, in the story. But she says, um, I said to him, you know, I thought I was pregnant. I was really scared, and you didn't call me back. He looked at me gently. He was so beautiful. Always had a soft spot for Robert Plant. And he said to me, oh, sweetie, but we only did it once. I looked at him, and I knew that my life here in Cambridge was absolutely over. I was moving on. College was done. I looked into his gray eyes and whispered with no malice or rage, you're a fucking idiot. And we said goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Andy Brenneman, I will say goodbye to you, and thank you so much for coming.
Oh, you're awesome. Great right. thing. Look. <laughs> Thank you all for coming. Um, I don't know. Andrea and I haven't talked about if she's going to have us back, but hopefully it will come back. Holiday. In four or six weeks. Holiday. Holiday. Holiday may be next. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, guys. You are Thank you. amazing and adorable in every way. Well, thanks for having us. I hope I didn't. Um...